Well, I want to invite you this morning to open up your Bibles. We are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 2, verses 12. Uh, tomorrow night service, we're going to go through the traditional Luke story. Hope you can make it here for that. We're going to have a little children's message, but it's probably better than the message I'll give this morning, and you probably get more out of it. But uh, that's the way it kind of works sometimes. Uh, simple uh, messages for the little kids can connect a little bit better. But uh, I'm going to do my best. And boy, some pastors and churches love Christmas, some don't. You would think, why wouldn't a pastor love Christmas? Well, try preaching a message from the same text year after year after year and making it new. Somehow, it's a bit of a challenge. And uh, so uh, I will do my best this morning. But it's really um, a message that uh, it's an honor to bring. Every single year uh, for centuries, since about the 6th century, uh, Christians have adopted a time and, and a period of time during the winter months, especially around the winter, winter solstice, that uh, we take and just simply adopt through tradition the opportunity to share the story of a birth of a Savior. And I have no idea what really God represents in your life, who He is for you, uh, how much you know him or don't know him. Maybe you're happy with him. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're just completely disinterested. But this morning's message is really cool in a sense that you get to see God at work in people's lives, not on Sunday morning, right? So I don't know about you, but most of the time we talk about God or seem to interact with what he's doing in our lives is communication during Sunday mornings. And you kind of wonder what life is really like for people outside of 10 o'clock to noon, right? What, what is God really doing in their life? What, who, do you, who do you believe him to be? How do you deal with life compared to what you say you believe? And this morning's message really looks at about five individuals and some of those individuals I would group together about where they're at with God and how they respond to real-life circumstances. So let's read it, and then we'll go back through a little slower verse by verse. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18, beginning there, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel had commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who had been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, 
and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right. So, we have this exciting and interesting story that maybe you've read a hundred times, but maybe you've never really considered. So I, w- I want you to, to think real for a second. So I need Mary. Um, Christy, she's looking at me. Yes, Mary, our young little virgin. Come on up. And we need Joseph. Joseph, come on up. Yes. And then we need some wise men. We'll take those three wise men. Come on, wise men. Come on up part of the crew here. (laughs) This wasn't part of the the deal. And then we need a Herod. There's Herod right there. Come on up. Yes, he's looking there. All right, come on up. Very good. Just slide on over. And then we need all the Jews of Jerusalem. So you guys are all the Jews of Jerusalem. Okay, real people, right? So what is God doing in their lives this past week? Let's, Let's not think about Mary, Joseph, and the wise men, and Herod. Let's just think about Christy and Luke and Joe and Don and and all the guys up here. What do you think God was doing in their life? What were they doing this week? Were they just sitting around worshiping the Lord? Or were they dealing with maybe thinking about, man, I got to get presents for the kids. Am I going to get enough time off work? Dealing with the Christmas parties at work, going, oh, great, yeah, I want one of those. Yes, I love those. And then maybe trying not to eat the sweets at the Christmas parties, then giving in and going, oh, yeah, I'm going all in. I'll wait till January 1. Maybe moving, considering moving or not. Uh, new, new puppy, kids, travel, grandkids. I mean, think of all the things that you've been doing. Cooking, you know, maybe you're worried about cooking for the in-laws coming up. Or you tried cooking and it turned out terribly. Maybe you've already had a couple Christmases already. You don't have a Christmas day, you have a Christmas week. you got all sorts of stuff happening. But where's God at in all that? Where's God at in your life? What is really deeply going on in your life? Are you at a point where you just don't care because something's so troubled in a relationship? Maybe at work? So thank you guys, I won't make you stand up here. You were like, oh, they dodged a bullet there. But it's easy to read the Christmas story until you look at faces of real people, the people around you, and think, what's going on in their life? Where's God at? And then you look at your life. What's going on in your life, honestly? And what does this have to do with you? Well, I hope as we examine and unpack this story a little bit, maybe you can relate. 
hopefully to some of the characters that really love the Lord, but maybe not. And then what are you going to do in response? Maybe your Christmas looks like this slide where there's so many different things happening and you've you got your eyes on a lot of different lights. But hopefully, you change your focus maybe just a little bit. Let's begin verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, for those of you that haven't been in church much and aren't familiar with that saying, basically it's like a, a very, very formal engagement. It's almost like marriage but not. It's this period of time before marriage. So Mary had finally found her man. She was a young virgin girl who was blessed, found favor with God, and was trying to honor God in her life. Maybe that's you. But perhaps people around you aren't, and and maybe you're the only one. Mary seemed to be doing everything just right. She was trying to follow God, and, and so was Joseph. Joseph, But before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, it's kind of giving you some insight there in the story, but not everyone knew the child was from the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Joseph didn't know, or at least he didn't believe it. And he says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Here was this guy who was worshiping the Lord. He thought he had found a a girl that was for him. And all of his thoughts came crashing down. All of his beliefs, apparently, from all outward expectations, were wrong. And now he's, he's facing divorce. And then how do you do that? Are you angry? Are you bitter? You're trying to follow God and it didn't work out and this woman who you thought was following God and you just decide, hey, I'm going to get even with her and just throw her to the curb under the bus. I mean, it's a small town where they're living. Everyone would know. But he's a just man. And in the midst of that trial, he decides to actually do the best he could in that circumstance to honor God and to divorce her quietly not put her to shame. Wow. That's a little more difficult than praising God in a worship service. That's a little more difficult than having a quiet time. You really have to decide what you believe when the very person that you believe is the closest person to you in the world you think betrays you. Do you still follow God? Is God there in your life? Or have you shelved him where you just kind of pray once in a while and then live your own life? Huge decision to make. He chooses to honor God. But in doing so, wow, look how God responds. Verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. You don't say, do not fear, if there's nothing to fear. It it just doesn't work. If someone is afraid of snakes and they run across a snake, you're like, don't fear. You're like, thanks a lot, that doesn't do me any good. I'm afraid of snakes. You don't fear. You go play with the snake. There's fear involved, right? What what is the family going to think? My supposedly virgin wife is with child, 
They're either going to blame me for premarital sex or they're going to blame her, basically claiming she's an adulteress, or all kinds of other sorts of scenarios. There's a lot to fear. Are you ostracized by your family, your neighbors? I mean, it was a very tight culture. Do you lose your finances, your job, your ability to support yourself? All this stuff. And he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Wow. It's kind of easy to believe that, honestly, as a Christian today. You've heard it so many times. It's like, yeah, it's a miracle. (laughs) What if you're the very first guy that hears about the miracle? Like, okay, I'm going to tell my mother-in-law that it wasn't me, it was God. She going to believe that? I don't think so. I don't think she's buying that. No, not going to happen. I'm going to tell my neighbor, no one's buying that the first time they hear that, right? That's a little fearful trying to peddle that story. It's not as though that you can point to the resurrection at this point and go, yeah, that was God. It's like, wow, don't fear. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So he has this dream. The angel of the Lord is in the dream and gives him a command. So all this stuff is happening. Now he has to decide, does he follow God? Is God going to be a part of his life? Is he going to continue to follow him and obey? You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So not only does he have to peddle this story that that this baby is from God, but he's going to be a savior. His name is Jesus or Yahshua or Joshua. means savior. Save you from your sins. Not just save you from a nation as in the Old Testament, but save you from your sins. Wow. That's a tough one. But does he do it? Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the author there is sharing with you why this occurred. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. But does Joseph even recall that at the time? Maybe, maybe not. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, verse 24, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. James 1.22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's probably the most profound statement in Scripture for believers. You can come here all you want, all about Jesus and what the Bible has to say, and maybe you've trusted him. But at some point, you have to decide, are you going to do what the Word says? Or are you going to just be deceived of your own making? Joseph chooses to do. He did as the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Let's not pass over this, guys. You get married, no honeymoon. Not for about a year. 
Now you might be thinking, well, that's kind of getting off in the weeds, Scott. We don't really need to talk about that. But once again, real people. I can tell you there are a lot of ladies and a lot of men, when they're getting married, that is like the pinnacle of their life. They've been looking forward to their whole life. And this is exactly the opposite of what they're looking forward to. And so here it is, Joseph being faithful to God. You would think, well, God's going to bless me with this great normal marriage. And right off the bat, he gets married, no honeymoon, and I've got to deal with a kid, not even not my own. Even if it is from God, it's still not my kid, right? That's tough if you've ever been in a marriage where you've tried to raise a child that wasn't yours. Do you continue to follow God? Joseph did. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Those are huge, huge steps of faith in real life. Some of the toughest scenarios that you can face. Well, let's go on to the next group of people. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. By the way, if you're not familiar with Israel, Bethlehem's not very far from um, Jerusalem. It, it's, it's a short ways, but Jerusalem is on a mountaintop, if you will. It's not a mountain mountain, but it's kind of on a hill. And so in the scriptures, it constantly refers to, to going up to Jerusalem or down to Jerusalem. So Bethlehem's not very far. And so now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So I know on the Christmas cards, everything is condensed down. You see three little wise men riding on a camel, right? They're going to give the little, you know, the gold and frankincense and myrrh to baby Jesus in the manger. Not it. About two years at this point has passed. And the reason why that you always see the three little wise men and, and Christmas pageants and, and cards is because there's three gifts. They're just attributing one gift to each wise man. There's nothing in the text that talks about the number of wise men and certainly nothing about camels. Uh, probably the, the best uh, monograph I've read recently on this story, specifically speaking of the star here in just a minute, was by uh, Dr. Jason Lyle, an astrophysicist who's a Christian. I've spoke of him in the past. Uh, he wrote one this past week describing the wise men from the east, most likely Persia. And you have to understand these wise men were counselors to the king. They often had their own armies. These guys were well-respected and powerful. And quite frankly, you don't likely travel across the desert, across the country, carrying all this incredibly um, wealthy cargo um, and just with three guys. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And you, you'll see as the story unfolds here, more than likely a lot more than three individuals more than likely riding horses. They are known historically for their great horsemanship. So when you see wise men, know that these individuals were counselors, often to kings in Persia. They often had armies, more than likely. Again, this is somewhat speculation, but from historical documents. And so when they arrive, it says this, when, when Herod the king heard this, 
rather back up, verse uh, 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So I don't know if you've been to Jerusalem or not, or even seen Jerusalem. It's a still a fairly large city, ancient city at that. So if three guys came in going, hey, where's this king that was born? Yes, there's some gossip, but I doubt it gets to Herod. But if you have even a small group of people, say 30 to 100 individuals, some wise men, the entourage of, of lords in a nation that, quite frankly, is a powerful nation, even in comparison to Rome at that time, and they show up in your city and they say something like this, where is he who is born or has been born king of the Jews? That's going to get the king's attention. Like this group of foreigners that are powerful and influential come riding into town. They're odd to begin with, right? They stick out like a sore thumb. And then they're inquiring of the people, where in the world is the guy born king of the Jews? And the people are like, wait a minute, we have a king. What are you talking about? That's going to get the king's attention. It's scary when a foreign nation comes and, and they're not referring to you as king. That's going to get up to, to the king's ears. And so wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying this. Not only this, we, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These people are from a pagan nation. They're not Christians, and maybe that represents you here today. You don't know anything about God, or if you do, you've never trusted him. You're just here because, you know, you're visiting family, whatever. That happens all the time. I was like that as a kid. You, you go to the church that you arrive at at your relatives, or, or maybe you're not here today, and someone else, much of many of our people are doing that very thing today. But these individuals were from an unbelieving nation, Yet, they were on the lookout for celestial activity regarding a faith that was foreign to their nation, but they were constantly looking. They were known for their astronomy as well as their astrology. And according to, to Dr. Jason Lyle, an astrophysicist, the question is, is this a natural star? Is this a real star? When we look back at the dates during that period of time, can we attribute this to planets lining up, stars, supernovas, all these different things? And what I love about his answer is just simply this. Well, what does the Bible say? Because <laughs> oftentimes we just tend to dismiss what the Bible says and we automatically look for natural explanations. And quite frankly, there is no natural explanation that can account for what you read in the text. Because you'll, as you'll see here in just a minute, the star disappears, then reappears later on, specifically over a house. So it appears in the sky, and they follow him from the east, at least towards this star generally, but not specifically. And they arrive in Jerusalem sometime later. And you'll notice this. They apparently were the only ones on the lookout for this, this event. If anyone in Jerusalem noticed it, didn't really care. Not of interest. 
Let that sink in for a little bit. Do you know people in your life that claim to be Christians? They, they're in church all the time. They're, they're doing the ministry thing. But God seems to be distant in their life. Maybe that, that's you today. I don't know. And yet, there's these people that don't know much about your faith but they do know a little and they seem so energized and so faithful and so sincere. And they're constantly seeking to follow God now in any area of their life. Even if it means traveling from their homeland, moving across the world, giving up all they have, bringing their money just to worship God. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, wow, I wish I was once like that, but I and I wish I was today, but things have kind of gotten a little stale. And for me, Christmas is more shopping, turkey, ham, family. Where's God at in your life? Do you find yourself, as you read this story, closer, clo more closely associated with the wise men? I hope you do. So, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, by the way, this Herod is Herod the Great. There are several Herods in, in the New Testament referred to. Uh, just a few years ago when I was in Jerusalem, uh, they were at their national museum. They opened up a first-time exhibit on Herod the Great. They'd um, finally discovered his resting place where they had buried him. Uh, Herod the Great was literally great when it came to building stuff. Uh, he expanded the temple. You would think, man, this guy's building this centerpiece and making the centerpiece of the faith of the Jewish people the greatest it had been since Solomon. You would think he was a very religious person. He wasn't. In fact, Caesar knew him. There's this pun in Greek. It doesn't really translate well into English, but the Caesar of Rome says, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Because Herod was so wicked that any sort of threat, he kept killing sons and daughters and wives. Any sort of threat to his throne, he would kill them immediately. And in the Greek, those two words sound alike, pig and son. But he was so well known for his absolute, absolute wickedness that even Caesar was aware of it. And so you have this guy who is this great builder, very wicked, but kind of religious as well. He hears this, and he's troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, I said you guys were Jerusalem. I didn't mean it like that. I know many of you love the Lord, but I think if you live in this community, this state, this nation, and you look around in our day and age, there are a lot of people who kind of know about God, might even claim to follow him. But when it comes to real faith and real action on that faith, it really troubles them. In fact, they, they might even get angry with you. It's a tough spot to be. Verse 4, And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he didn't actually know God's word but he could come and find people that did. They, it's not necessarily true that they were following God's word, but they knew about the text. And oftentimes, 
Again, where is God in your life? Is that, is that what you do when you claim to follow God? You don't really follow his word, but you just kind of go to places where they know about God's word. And whether or not they even do God's word, you don't know. But that's just kind of where God's at in your life. They told him, verse 5, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it, so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they found the scriptures, they found the prophecy, they told Herod, verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. In other words, had appeared. It's, it's no longer appearing. So once again, no natural phenomenon just appears and disappears and moves like that. It's supernatural. And so he's asking, which is ironic, these pagan, well, supposedly pagan wise men who had come from a land, didn't, didn't have all this information. All right, when did the star appear? He's asking questions of those who have this simple faith. I don't know where God's at in your life today, whether you know him just kind of, sort of, or don't know him at all, but I would encourage you. There's someone in your life who has a vibrant faith. Just go ask them. Hey, what do you have that I don't have? Why do you have this peace and joy that seems to be missing in my life? And he sent them, verse 8, to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So they put two and two together. Bethlehem, star, okay, must be Bethlehem. And he says, he makes this claim that he's going to worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Probably not really believing the king. Maybe they, they took his advice on the whole Bethlehem thing, but... Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So the star, they see it again, and it literally moves and comes over specifically not to a broad area as you think of stars, but specifically to a house. At this point in time, they'd move from the manger to a house or in to a house. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. With great joy. Wow. I hope that's where you're at with your faith today. Just the opportunity to worship God. These guys had great wealth. They had prestige. They had power. They weren't even afraid to come to a foreign land and question where the true king was at. They had guts. They had courage all because they wanted to worship God. I don't know where you're at in your life today, whether you've hit rock bottom and realized that this life really has nothing for us. Or if you've acquired everything that this world says that you should acquire, you have family, you have kids, grandkids, you have money, you have a house, you have all that America can possibly give you, the American dream, and yet you still realize there's something missing. I don't have this exceedingly great joy. I'm kind of happy, as happy as most people around, but I'm talking about a joy that can't be taken from you, regardless of circumstance. A peace that says, you know what? Finally, 
no matter what happens in my life, live or die, rich or poor, I'm good. I know where I'm going to spend eternal life. I don't have to worry about being the smartest, the brightest, the best looking. I don't have to worry about any of that. All I have to do is find the king. And I'll have great joy. Verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. This isn't a church service. This isn't at the temple. They're in some random house. And there's this little toddler. And they fall down. These great men Wealthy, perhaps an army with them, small. And they worship this little toddler who they believe is the savior of the world. The same child that maybe Joseph was worried about talking to his relatives about. Wow. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph sitting there seeing that scene unfold? Just that sort of God in your life is different than the God of church on Sunday mornings. That sort of realism changes lives. Saying you believe in God and and just kind of do the religious stuff doesn't change lives. Now, the stuff that God commands us to, make no mistake, being here in church, praying, seeing, that's all important, commanded, and good. But it's, it's not left there. It's like, do you really worship God? Regardless of what other people think, regardless of what it costs you. He continues. And then he says, Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, Gold and frankincense and myrrh and spices and valuable stuff here, essentially. Now notice this. We're going to contrast this tomorrow night, but God doesn't need your money. He's God. The government requires you to pay money in taxes. They want your money. God doesn't want your money. Yet, as we love him, We give to him and his kingdom, not because it's demanded, but because we do so out of a generous heart, according to the New Testament. We worship him with everything that we have, our lives, our money, everything. Not because we have to, but because we want to. We worship God with everything. They traveled all this way, And do this very thing. You would think life for the wise men would end up well. It would be so cool. They finally find their king. They're hanging out. They've given him gifts. They're worshiping. You would think God would just bless them. And and they're able to hang out and watch this kingdom grow around them. Uh, They invite their family to come move to Israel. Uh, It's just an awesome story. But here's this crazy thing that happens in their life. Immediately, this, these, 
these men of great faith and sacrifice, what happens? Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by way of another way. So just as they're worshiping God in their real life, you would think things would be easy, things would get even better. But now, they're in fear for their lives. I mean, there was apparently a good group of them, but not a good enough group to, to stand up to Herod. So they don't get to stick around. They don't get to stick around and see this Jesus grow, do miracle after miracle after miracle, hear his teaching at his feet like the disciples did. They don't get to witness all the healings. And they certainly don't get to witness the resurrection. They have to go back to their own land, miles away, around unbelievers, and maybe hear from a distance of what's going on. Wow. I'll close with this. Maybe you've known the Lord and, and you've really made sacrifices in your life. You've tried to follow God. You're there with the wise men. And you would think things would be going well for you. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, life gets crazy. Maybe you're diagnosed with a disease. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you have to move away from your family, your friends. And you're like, what's up, God? I, I love you. Why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening? Just remember this. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. God is still there. The only question is, where you follow God. Do you leave him at home next to the bed after the quiet time's done? Do you leave him here on Sunday morning and you follow your own desires the rest of the week? You see, the wise men can worship in their own country just as well as they could in Jerusalem. And God can grow them, and I'm sure probably did grow them and grow their faith regardless of their circumstances. As a matter of fact, he may have grown it even greater because we know that when God brings, we meet trials of various kinds, it's for our own good. It's to grow our faith and develop perseverance. I have no idea where God is at in your life, but I know he has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. And though we, like the wise men, didn't get to see all the miracles firsthand, we have heard about them. We hear about them. And we know God through his promises and through his Holy Spirit. The question is, do we have God and where is he at in our life? I pray you use this Christmas to examine your life Say, do I have this great joy or is something missing? And reassess and recommit 
your life to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for the, the time this year, maybe off work, off school, to actually rest. If it is rest, sometimes it gets a little crazy. But Lord, help us to seek you, to worship you, not at a service alone, but in our lives completely and totally. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.